In a Bible chapel that I was associated with for 25 years, the elders got together when they formed, there were nine adults and seven children, when they formed that little meeting, broke bread that first Sunday in a little storefront in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. They had to think to themselves, what would we do as a local church to attract people? So there there were all kinds of things that were suggested. And uh, finally, they came to the conclusion that whatever we do to attract people, we must continue to do that to keep the people. So it can't be a flash in the pan, a great thing, and then a a letdown, and a, a year later, everybody wanders away because they were expecting more. So what they decided to do was that something that they could continue to do till the Lord comes. You know what that was? Preach the Word. They thought if anybody wanted to join them that would like to hear the Word, they'd just preach the Word. And so uh, 20, uh, I guess about 28 years now have passed, and they're still preaching the Word. I had the privilege of being part, taking part in that. There were five men in that assembly that taught the Word of God. I'm basically itinerant, that is, a traveling kind of a preacher. And so I wasn't there every Lord's Day. But whenever I would have a break in my schedule, they would slot me in because they always did consecutive ministry. And uh, it may be a, a topic and then consecutive on the topic, or it may be a book study or something like that, but it was always consecutive. And in most cases, they wanted you to give an outline to the congregation. Now, five guys working on this, you say, that wouldn't be very good. Well, actually, it was. Uh, So the elders would sort of figure it out, give you your portion. On one occasion, they said, Brother Joe, you're going to be in town on a certain Lord's Day. And I said, yes, I am. And they said, well, we're going through the Gospel of John what we'd like for you to do is take the first nine verses in John chapter 7. Is that okay with you? I said, oh, great. That's great with me. Yeah, fine. I've been through John before. I didn't say it to them. Piece of cake. Not a problem, you know. And uh, so you know how it is. Uh, I'll do that later. And I'll do that later. And I'll work on that. Oh, I know that already. I'll do that. When I, well, it's Friday and Sunday's coming. And somebody's got to preach and I think it's me. And uh, so I open up my Bible, which I'm going to encourage you to do right now. You open up your Bible to John chapter 7. All right, open up your Bibles to John chapter 7. And I'm going to read for you the first nine verses. Okay, you with me? All right. John's Gospel, chapter 7. And let me encourage you... I'm delaying for a reason, because I'd like for everybody to turn there, okay? Sometimes, uh, if you're not careful, you say, you already got it marked, of course, in my Bible. I say, John chapter 7, first nine verses, I'm through before you ever get there, you know? So, just a little admonition to the brothers and sisters here in your meetings, okay? John chapter 7, verse number 1. Watch your Bibles. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee. 
for he would not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that your disciples might see the works that you do. For there is no man that does anything in secret, and he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto them, My time's not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify against it that the works of it are evil. You go ahead up to the feast. I'm not going up yet unto the feast, for my time is not yet full come. When he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. End of the section that I'm to preach on. I must say, I read that, and I thought, that can't be in John. I've never read that before. My goodness, where did that come from? You know how you read along in your Bible, and you just kind of mechanically read, and you miss so much. That's the reason I like public reading. Because sometimes when you stand up and you read, and I'm just listening, all of a sudden things jump out to me that, I didn't see when I'm just sort of reading maybe in my own mind or something like that. So I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Now, this is not the end-all, the be-all of how to study your Bible, okay? Just a little few points along the way. So here I am. I, I'm not really that familiar. I haven't looked at it in a while. You know, context, 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 context. It's like... Selling a house, right? Location, location, location. Well, context is what you have to get. And so <clears throat> I thought what I would do, just share with you a few things that I looked at to try to get a message out of these nine verses for our series in the Gospel of John. First thing I want to share with you this morning is the setting. Where is the thing happening that we are reading about. Uh, I'm going to also encourage you that geography is really important. How many of you here have actually been to Israel? Oh, boy. Really? Nobody? Wow. I'd recommend that to you if you possibly could ever go. Um, my wife and I have been, and we have thoroughly enjoyed it because, you know, um, they're not just places that don't exist. They are real deal places and real deal people. And it, it would be just like naming a few communities around here. Well, that's what they are. They're in Israel and those are the communities and those were where it happened and things like that. So, okay, you haven't been there. We're going to do a little geography. You ready? Here we go. Uh, hold your hand right here and turn to the back of your Bible. You, you must have a map of some kind back there. Okay? Find a map. New Testament, Israel. Okay? Jesus times, New Testament, Israel. See if you can find a map. This was one of the first things I did. I thought, well, I've got to get it in my head. I've got to see what's going on here uh, in these verses. Now, I've already cheated a little bit because... I made myself a map. I kind of color-coded it a little bit 
okay, you'll find a map looking something similar to this, okay? Uh, now, you're going to find a map of Israel. Um, when, you, when you get the map, two strategic locations, probably at the north part of the upper part of your map, you're going to see Sea of Galilee. Got it? Up there somewhere? And then between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, you see the little blue line on your map. That's the River Jordan. Okay. Uh, to the left, as you look at your map, you're going to have a coastline. That's the Mediterranean Sea. So basically, and not inclusively, but basically from the River Jordan over to the shore of the Mediterranean, and on your map, uh, north and south there, that's going to be Israel. That's going to be the, time, the, the place in which we're, th- this is happening, what we're going to read about this morning. Okay. Now, um, around the Sea of Galilee, there's a, a, a province, a landmass, an area that's just called Galilee. You might see it. If, if you look closely, it might be written across that area. Not the Sea of Galilee itself, but an area called Galilee. Okay? Now, if you look down around the Dead Sea, and just to the left as you look, you'll see Jerusalem there. Okay? Now, the area around Jerusalem, another landmass, an area, a boundary, okay, is called Judea. Okay? Now, between Galilee and Judea, you got another piece of land, another province, another landmass, and that's called Samaria. Got it? So we got three going on here. Basically, that'll do for our study. At the bottom of our map, Judea. At the top of our map, Galilee. In between the two, Samaria. Okay? Now... Uh, notice uh, maybe also you'll see a few names of some towns in the north. You see Cana of Galilee, see Nazareth, see Capernaum. That's right on the coast of the Sea of Galilee, right north of there. You'll see those little villages, those little towns, okay? And then you see uh, uh, Zion, uh, uh, Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel. You see that? We're, We're talking about now, watch this approximately a hundred miles, okay? Say, say from, uh, from Nazareth to Jerusalem, you know, probably 90 miles, uh, something like that. Uh, another five or six miles up from uh, Nazareth around the coast to Capernaum. When you walk into the ruins of parts of the city of Capernaum now, there's a big entranceway, and it's, it's got over that archway the hometown of Jesus, <laughs> You see, he sort of used that as home base in what we'd call his Galilean ministry, okay? So you're getting a little feel for this. We got Galilee in the top, we got Jerusalem in the bottom, we got Samaria here. Now, just to put this in perspective, I I, I want to give you these thoughts. Now, you don't have to turn there because our time is limited this morning, but uh, I want you to think about it this way. In chapter 2 of John... Jesus is in Cana of Galilee. Got that on your map? See that? He's in Cana. In chapter 3, he went to Judea. Okay? 90 miles. I mean, 100 miles approximately. He's down in Judea. Chapter 4, he's in Samaria. Got it? Look. So he's in, he's in the north. He goes to the south. He comes back up. Chapter 4, woman at the well. You remember that? 
He's in Samaria. Chapter 5, he's back in Judea. Chapter 6, he's back in Galilee. Now, they, they weren't riding, you know. They're like walking, okay? Maybe an odd ride on a donkey or something. I, I don't know. But, I mean, basically, we're talking about 100 miles. Let's go, boys, okay? Okay, well, I tell you what. Let's just go back to Galilee from Jerusalem for supper tonight. How about that, you know? And, it, I mean, they just can't just run up there for supper. This is 100 miles. So we have him in, in Cana, we have him in Judea, we have him back in, in Samaria, we have him back in, he's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Now, when we read verse 1 of our chapter, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee. Most commentators think he's been there a few months now. He's there in chapter 6, he's been there a few months. He's in, now it's chapter 7. He's still walking in Galilee. He's there. And, and we know that they're wanting him to go where? To Jewry, to Judea, uh, to the Feast of Tabernacles back, back in, uh, back in Jerusalem. So a lot of, lot of walking going on here. Now watch this again. Uh, that, that's, that's some of the geography, some of the places that are mentioned. In verse 1, you got Jewry mentioned. That's another word for Judea. Don't get hung up on it. So Jewry, Judea. The only other place, there's another place by implication. It says the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, that's always held in Jerusalem. So even, even though it's not like, you know, it's, it's like that's where he's going. He's going to the Feast of Tabernacles. He's going to Jerusalem. Okay, the the other sort of figure, uh, geographical location that we're looking at is just the world. It's mentioned in verse four. Uh, at the end, show yourself to the world. It's mentioned in verse seven. The world cannot hate you, etc. So we're kind of focusing in. We're zeroing in. We got him in. Uh, up in the north, we got him uh, wanting to go to the south. At least his brothers are telling him to go to the south. Let's look at the people that are mentioned. Not the geography, not the places, the people that are mentioned. Um, first of all, uh, who's the star of the story? Well, it's the Lord Jesus, okay? Watch him. He's the key individual in the text. So Jesus is mentioned. In verse 2... Actually, in verse 1 and verse 2, the Jews are mentioned. I was on a plane, and um, a guy sat beside me on the plane. He had a homicone. So I said, wow, I said, you're, you're Jewish. He said, yeah, yeah, Jewish. I said, wow, do you know that you are a blessed man? And he said, hmm. He said, uh, you're the second person that ever told me that, and the first person was a born-again Christian. He said, would you be a born-again Christian? And I said, well, by the way, I am, yes. And so we began to talk, and I said, now, uh, you, you must know your background, know your, you know your heritage. And he said, well, I know a few things. And I said, good. I said, do you know what tribe you're from? 
<laughs> oh, he was born in Michigan or somewhere. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> you know, he's, he's having a hard time with that. Okay. So I said, look, you must know who the first Jew was. The father of everybody. This man with a poker face looked at me and said, was it Jesus? Was it Jesus? I'm telling you this not to in any way embarrass or belittle that man, but to say that you can never take anything for granted when you're talking to a Muslim, to a Jew, to, to anybody. You in your mind say, oh, I got it. I know what they know. You, you don't have a, a clue sometimes. And so I had about five hours <laughs> to share with that man from the call of Abraham to the Lamb of God. It was a wonderful opportunity to share Christ with that man. Jews. So there's a lot going on right now, as you know, uh, in the Middle East. And uh, we were just reading this morning from the Scriptures, you know, God says, nobody's going to take you out, you know, like I'm going to be there to the Jews. And, of course, they don't, they don't know whether to believe that or not, so they don't know how that's going to happen. And we know there's going to be a lot of war and a lot of confusion and a lot of devastation, but we know who's going to surface from the smoke, don't we? It's going to be that nation because God's not through with that nation yet. When he gets through with us, the Gentiles, he'll just kind of go like this and like this, and the Gentiles now are gone, and God says, let me spend some time with you guys again. Okay, now, people mention. Notice in verse 3, his brothers are mentioned. Verse 3, his brethren. Now, We'll come back to them in just a minute. Um, and in, they're mentioned in verse 3 and verse 5. Okay, for his brethren didn't believe in him. Also in verse 3, uh, it, it, the word disciple. Go into Judea that your disciples may also see the works that you do. Disciples. Now, uh, disciples are people who follow someone else. Uh, they, they're people who want to be like the person they follow. They want to learn from them. They want to mimic them. They, they put them up as, a, as an idol, uh, as an icon in their life. Um, we see this happening all the time in, in society. Uh, Olympic stars, sports stars, uh, rock stars, uh, you know, uh, movie stars. I mean, what, people go, wow, I want to be like that guy. They buy clothes like him. They drive automobiles like him. They walk like him. They talk like him. You know what I mean? Like they, they try to mimic these people, okay? Well, a disciple is someone who wants to be like, look like, act like, talk like, live like Jesus. That's a disciple. Are you a disciple this morning? Is that your goal in life, a disciple? They're mentioned here. Um, and then uh, sort of a no, no man, look at him in verse 4, no man. Okay, what, what am I doing here? I'm going through the text. I'm doing some homework. I'm finding out where did it happen, what, what's around it, what are the cities, what, what's the geography, what are we talking about, where is he at, who, who is in the text, who can I identify in the text. All of this has to be part of interpreting the text. You didn't just read it and say, well, it means this to me. Well, Leroy read it and it meant something else to him. It wasn't even close, you know. And so we're not talking about application. 
which means I can read the book and say, well, this is what I think it means. That, that's probably an application. But God has an interpretation. And the context, the geography, the historical setting, uh, the language barrier, who wrote it, who did he write it to, when did he write it, etc. It takes a long time. You want to be spiritual? You can't do that fast. You want to know the Bible? It takes a long time. You've got to study. You've got to get into it. Okay, so these are just a few things. Let's go back to verse 3 and verse 5 for a minute uh, and see if we can define who the brethren are. Okay, so we're going to try to figure this out. First of all, let's go to Luke chapter, hold your hand here, Luke chapter 1. Luke's gospel and chapter 1. Now I'm going around the barn for a minute, so hang on, okay? All right. Luke chapter 1, under the question of who are the brethren, okay? And we know they don't believe whoever they are. They're not disciples, okay? Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 26. And again, we've got to like really go, but I want, you to, I want you to see in your mind something that looks like a comet coming from outer space. And it's just sizzling through the universe, and it's making its way to earth. And you'd say, oh, what, what is that? We'll say, well, this is Gabriel. This is an angel, and he's on a special mission. You say, oh, he's probably going to the capital city, that great city of Zion, Jerusalem. Well, he overshoots Jerusalem about 90 miles, <laughs> okay? And he lands, and we looked at it on our map, he lands in the city of Nazareth of all places. And there, uh, uh, Gabriel finds a virgin. You know the story. Her name is Mary, and he comes for a special message from her. Time does not allow me to go through that whole story, but I want to give you uh, basically what he says to her. Look in verse, uh, 30, uh, verse 30. He said to her, Fear not, Mary, for you found favor with God. Behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. His name shall be called Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord shall... Uh, give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now Mary responds to this and says unto the angel, How can this be? How can this be? I can't have a baby. It's impossible. I don't know a man. Now, folks, that doesn't mean she didn't know somebody of the opposite sex. That means that intimately, physically, she has never been with a man. She doesn't have a husband, and she doesn't have a man in her life. And so she says, how can this be? I do not know a man. I've never known a man. She is a virgin. That was in the text. Look at verse 35. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon you, the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore, that holy thing which shall be born of you shall be called the Son of God. Listen, do yourself a favor. However you see that happening in your mind, don't you put that on the level with man. 
The Holy, in my, and this is my estimation, the Holy Spirit is not having intercourse with Mary. It is far above that. This is, this is pure. This is holy. This is right. This is God. We can't begin to understand these things, but I'll tell you, it is something so special, so unique, so holy, that a, a holy thing, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, is going to be the result of this conception. Okay. Now, why, why do I take even a, a, a moment to tell you this? When was the last time you heard a message on the virgin birth? Do you know we take things for granted? Uh, we say, oh, yeah, it's in our statement, you know. Uh, we, we believe in the virgin birth, and we believe in the... Well, what else is, is impossible? Is, listen, I don't know if you know this, but like this is like impossible. Did you know that? Like this can't happen. They can put something in a test tube and monkey around with it, but, I mean, they can't create life. This, this is miraculous, okay? And we go, okay, virgin had a baby. What's next? You know, like, whoa, virgin had a baby. Are you kidding me? Like... This is, this is God. This is miraculous. This is unique. Nothing, listen, nothing ever happened like that before. Never going to happen again. One time. And you know what else? Resurrection. It's coming up. At least our, you know, sort of emphasis on it. Resurrection. We go, okay, uh, Jesus uh, was... Um, he, he died on the cross for our sins. He did. And he was buried. And, and he was. And the third day he rose again from the dead. And we go, yeah, what's next? Okay, Jesus. That's impossible. We, we don't make a big deal. You've got to make a big deal out of this. Listen, if you read in the Miami Times or whatever you got here uh, <laughs> that uh, Mr. Brown died on uh, Friday and he was buried on Saturday and Monday morning he crawled out of the grave and went home and had breakfast with his family. You'd go, uh, I'd say, you know, where is that? You know, Inquirer magazine or something like, you know. Uh, you would not believe it, right? Because dead people don't get up, but Jesus did. We should never, listen, if you don't have a virgin birth and you don't have a resurrection, eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we die, the whole thing is done. Like, these are keys. You, you've got to have them. You don't have a virgin birth. You don't have anybody qualified to be your Savior. You don't have a resurrection? Then what my message this morning would be? Uh, let's say, well, trust the Lord as your Savior, and maybe you could be buried in some obscure tomb in Palestine, you know. <laughs> like, no! He came forth from the grave. Okay, go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. I told you I was going around the barn. Just bear with me. Matthew chapter 1, trying to figure out who the brothers are. Okay? we got a virgin. She's going to conceive. She's going to have a baby. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of... Are you with me? Do I go too fast? Okay. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph... Notice, key now, key... Before they came together. You got that? They are not interacting as husband and wife. They are a spouse. They are engaged. There is no physical interaction. Notice, she was found with child. Oh. Do you know that stigma followed the Lord Jesus all of his life? 
You read it in John chapter 8. He's got the most religious people, the Pharisees there, and he's talking to them. And uh, he says, you're of your father, the devil. And they said, we know who our father is. You don't even know who your father is. And then they said, you be born of fornication. You were out of wedlock, man. You were illegitimate. Followed him all of his life. Okay. So before they came together, okay. Now, we got... We got the angel. We got the message. The whole thing is turning out. I must just skip a whole bunch of this. Notice in verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, bring forth a son. They're going to call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. Then Joseph uh, raised from the sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and he took unto him his wife. Now look at verse 25. And knew her not. He did not know her intimately. They're married. Okay? They got a right to do this. He did not know her. He did not have physical relationship with her till, you get it? Till she had brought forth her firstborn son and they called his name Jesus. That's important. After Jesus is born, Joseph and Mary have a normal Husband and wife, physical relationship. Go to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter... uh, Matthew chapter 13. All right, we're, we're 30 years down the road now, okay? Jesus is into his public ministry now. Uh, Notice verse 54, verse 54 of Matthew chapter 13. And when he was come into his own country, Jesus, when Jesus was come into his own country, he taught them in the synagogue insomuch that they were astonished and said, Where has this man this kind of wisdom and mighty works? Look at 55. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is his mother not called Mary? And his brethren called James and Josie or Joseph and Simeon and Judas? Don't get it mixed up. Not Judas of Iscariot. Judah or Judas. Look at the next verse. And his sisters, are they not all with us? Folks, listen. There is no doubt in my mind that Jesus had at least four, what we're going to call, half-brothers. Okay? Uh, because his father was God, the Holy Spirit, see? And then, and then these other ones are the children of Joseph and, and Mary in the, in the natural course of life raising a family. And his sisters, it doesn't say who they are, how many, but they were poor. There were sisters. Okay, now go back to our text. Go back to our text. In verse 3... His brothers said to him, why don't you go down to Judea? Why don't you get down there where people can see you? You want to be famous, don't you, Jesus? Remember, they're not believers. You want to be famous, don't you? Well, you can't. Listen, you're never going to get a following up here in the backwoods of Galilee. You got to get out of the big city, man. You got to go down there where things are happening, where it's sensational. You want a lot of followers? You want to be known the world? Get down there. That was a temptation 
for Jesus to get out of step with God, that was also an accusation from his brothers, and I believe out of jealousy. They didn't want to have anything to do with him. Pause. How would you like to grow up with a perfect brother? James says to Mary, Jesus did it. (laughs) Mary says, no. (laughs) Jesus never does anything wrong. (laughs) Well, Jesus made me do it. No, no. My wife was um, reading a book called The Lamb to our oldest grandchild, Mackenzie, when she was five years old. So she's reading this. And she gets to the part that Jesus is a perfect baby. And little five-year-old Mackenzie said, I bet he cried when he wet his dad. I bet he cried when he was hungry. And Grandma's struggling a bit here to, you know. And before she can come out with the answer, five-year-old theologian Mackenzie says, But Grandma, that wasn't sin. Those were communication cries. What what are they teaching these kids? So I asked the mother, what are you teaching these? She said, well, before Jesus could talk, the only way he could communicate to let him know what his needs were was by crying, and it wasn't a sin. Perfect, yeah. Why didn't I think of that, you know? A perfect baby, a perfect child, a perfect adolescent, a perfect teenager, a perfect adult, a perfect Savior. Did no sin, knew no sin, in Him was no sin, no one like Him in the universe. Only one qualified But he had some brethren that didn't believe. You see that? In verse 3 and in verse 5, neither did his brothers. Now, uh, I got, I I was told I could go like to 12, 15, okay? So take it out on your elders, okay? So let me just quickly make a few observations here. I I, I call them interesting phrases as I I go through this, you know? uh, one of the interesting phrases is to tempt him to go to Jerusalem. Now, did they did they think, well, if he's famous, we'll get in on it because we're his brothers? Or did they think, if he goes down there, we know what's going to happen. The Jews are seeking to kill him. Maybe we'll get rid of him down there. I Listen, I, I don't know. I don't know what the motives were. But that was certainly an accusation and a temptation uh, for him to go. Uh, and notice also, um, the advertisement works. You know, look at verse 4. Uh, no man does anything in secret that he himself wants to be known openly. Go show yourself to the world. This is the world's way. This is not God's way. God has a plan. God has a program. We don't have to... Listen, don't, as a Christian, don't take your cue cards from Wall Street or Hollywood. Take your orders from headquarters. Your, this is your marked roadmap for your journey. This, this is God's way. God's work done God's way, folks. This is the only way it's going to work. 
and, and they were trying to get him uh, detoured along the way and do something himself. Um, look at verse 6, another interesting one. I'll just hurry along. Jesus said, my time's not yet come. He didn't say his hour. Check that in the Scriptures sometime. Maybe you'll find that rather interesting. A little difference between timing and his hour. But he said to them, your time is always ready. Huh. My time's not ready, but your time is ready. You see, the Lord Jesus had given himself completely over to do the Father's will. First words that ever came out of his mouth recorded in the Bible is, don't you know, i got to be about my father's business, right? Luke chapter 2. Um, at, at the end of the day, on the cross, he says, Father, it's, uh, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And between the first cry and the last cry on the cross, you have a perfect walk with God. We heard about it this morning, the agony of it, nevertheless thy will be done. And we have that. So Jesus is on God's timetable. But he says to his brothers, you can go anytime you want to. You're rowing your own boat. You're doing your own thing. You don't care what God says. You're making up your own time schedule, your own lifestyle. If you want to go, you can go. I cannot go. I'm on God's timing. Your time is always ready. Um, and verse 7, the world cannot hate you. Well, the world loves its own. He said, the world hates me. Jesus said, the world hates me. But don't hate you. Well, the reason the world hated Jesus is not because Jesus was reigning on their parade. It's just that everywhere he went was godlike and holy and righteous. Listen, you don't have to go to work or school and grab your, you know, your uh, fellows and, uh, and, and schoolmates by the throat and, and start telling them about God. Just live for God. You don't fit. I, I won't listen to those jokes. I, I, I won't cheat on that test. I won't cheat on my time clock at work. I'm, I'm, I'm honest. I'm, I'm, I'm dependable. Um, I'll, I'll do whatever is right, and I won't join in to whatever is wrong. They won't like you. They will not like you. You don't have to get in their face. They'll just say, oh, there he comes again. There she comes again. And Jesus said that he testifies against the evil. Now, I want to just quickly say something about the world. The world's kind of beautiful to most of us. You go to certain places. I mean, Florida's almost beautiful, you know, like <laughs> traffic just kills it, man, just kills it. I just, wow, if you could get rid of these cars, you'd have something down here, you know. But it's under the curse, isn't it? But, but, but nevertheless, what we have, what we see today is a world that has formed a society without God. Uh, the world. Love not the world. That doesn't mean the beautiful things that God has made. It means the society. Uh, it's religion. Uh, uh, it's implications. It's desires. It's ambitions. It's goals. The way it operates. We know that there's another God. And he's called, in Second Corinthians chapter 4, the God of this world. The world doesn't even know it. He's standing in the corner, and he got everybody fooled, and he's laughing. We're, we're going about our own way. No, we're not. We're walking according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit of disobedience. This is the world. It represents that 
that the system has built, its culture, its art, its education, its religion, no God. Leave God out. So it hates him and it loves them. They are part of it. Quickly, some observations. Number one observation. Even being raised in the same house with Jesus didn't mean that they believed. Wow. That's a big one. I mean, surely you think, if Jesus was in the same house with you, surely you'd grow up to trust Jesus. That's the reason some of you have children who are saved and some of you have children in your home who are not saved. That's the reason that some of you know that your brothers and sisters in Christ are closer to you than your brothers and sisters in the flesh. Second observation, sometimes your bitterest opposition comes from those who are the closest to you. Some of you go home and say, I trusted Jesus, I got saved. And they go, don't bring that religion into this house. You know our religion. We'll have nothing to do with that. And those that are the closest to you gives you the greater I was going to say I ran out of time. (laughs) Last one, I'll be real quick with it. His brothers went to the feast. Isn't that interesting? They they went. His, His brothers went to the feast. They were religious, but they were not followers of Christ. You know what's happening today all over Florida? People are going to religious activities. You may have even come in here this morning. You say, well, it's Sunday morning, let's go to church. But you may not be a Christian. You see, a believer, a a disciple, is is someone who sees themselves as the sinner. And Christ is the only Savior. Not my religion, not my church, not my good works, not my anything. It's not how good I've been, it's how good Jesus has been. And in reality, I've done nothing to earn it. I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. The gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin is death. And if you've ever seen yourself as a sinner and Jesus is the only Savior, and by grace and through faith you've embraced that message, you said, yes, I want Him to be my Savior. I believe He died for me. That's salvation. That's born again. And it's got to be like in the heart, okay? It can't like be up here joining a church, singing in the choir, going on a missionary trip. That's not salvation. Salvation is taking your place as a sinner. And trusting the only Savior. Pretty, it, it's pretty narrow, folks. It's pretty narrow. Jesus said, no other way to the Father but by me. Um, and so we need to trust the Lord Jesus. Now, I'll just close with this. Do you believe or are you just religious? I Do I, thank you. Do I run my life God's way or the world's way? Do do I fit into the world or am I a misfit into the world? Does your life as a follower of Jesus Christ testify against the system? Last question. If you're not a believer, do you want to be a believer? That can happen in a moment of time. 
takes a minute to be born, takes a minute to die, takes one minute to trust Christ as your Savior. And I'm like five minutes over right now. Five people could have been saved in the last five minutes by trusting Christ. Next time you read John chapter 7, first nine verses, I bet you're going to think about this. What do you think? I know that it's made an impact on my own life. Just nine verses out of a great book, out of a great Bible. If you have any questions, talk to me afterwards, okay? Lord, we commit these stammering, stuttering words to you and to your spirit and pray that you might take them and use them in our life to help us to appreciate our Savior more or maybe even come to know him this morning for the first time, that our lives might not fit in this world. We might realize there's a cost and be willing by the grace of God to take sides with Christ. We're thankful, Father, that those brothers did believe, but it wasn't until after the resurrection, but we're so thankful they were numbered with the disciples in the first chapter of Acts. And for that, we're extremely grateful. And that you haven't used some of them to write part of the eternal word of God. What grace. And that grace can be experienced here again this morning. If those who would just step out by faith would trust Christ, we'd see that grace again. In Jesus' name, amen.